0: Welcome everyone to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host Pedro Abreu speaking directly from his beautiful vacations in Brazil. In this episode, we partner with Formaland, a company that works in formally verifying the Tezos codebase. I have worked with them in the past developing new features to their source-to-source compiler, And today, we're going to talk about their work and how their techniques are applicable to other code bases as well. For this, we talk with Formaland founder, Guillaume Claude, and the proof engineers, Daniel Ilst and Pierre Piau. Before we get into this great interview, I want to remind you guys that we have a new support mechanism through CoFi. If you are enjoying this podcast and want to see more of this content, please go to our website type 3 and press the support button on the bottom left. It's impossible not to see. You have the option to donate one time or set a monthly recurrence. Any amount is greatly appreciated to help this poor PhD student here to survive his vacations at home. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Let's go. Welcome everyone to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. This is your host, Pedro Abreu, and it's my great pleasure to be here today with Guillaume Clarke and Danielle Ilst. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thanks.
1: Thank you for the invite.
0: Yeah, awesome. So we I we brought you guys here today to talk about Formaland. What is Formaland, Guillaume?
2: Yeah, so Formaland is uh, our company. And we are a company of uh, six people uh, right know, uh, working fully on a formal verification. Our uh, uh, customer now is a uh, Tezos uh, cryptocurrency. And we uh, verify the kernel code of Tezos that is uh, composed of about uh, 100,000 uh, lines of code. And uh, our main target is to uh, verify uh, programs written in uh, high-level languages as opposed to embedded systems. So we, uh, currently, we work on the uh, verification of uh, the OCaml language, but uh, we are interested in also in verifying uh, languages such as uh, Rust, Go, or uh, JavaScript. And we uh, work fully with the proof system, Coq, and uh, verify some uh, high-level properties, such as uh, the absence of internal errors or the backward compatibility of uh, releases. uh, For now, we are fully dedicated to to Tezos, but we are also looking for uh, other applications.
0: Oh, nice. So how does how does the verification work? So you're, you're saying that we we can write down programs in in a higher-level language. In this case, it's OCaml, right?
2: Yes. Yes, so the way we do it is that we uh, translate the code uh, to a proof system, Coq. So that's a necessary step because uh, we write the proofs in the Coq system. So we have a first path where we... Uh, all the code with a uh, tool cock of a camel but that, uh, yeah, that we made and, uh, and which uh, you worked also uh, Pedro, which we work also together and we try to to keep uh, the generated cock code as close as possible to the to the original OCaml code, so that there is no increase in the, the size of what we generate in Coq, and uh, we have a clear uh, uh, syntax so that we can write uh, clear proofs. And after we express our specifications and we we write the proofs on the generated COC code, and uh, generally it feels like the, it was like if the original code was already written in Coq because. Uh, yeah, but we don't use much. Uh, un- we we try to use no encodings when we translate uh,
0: high-level right. programs. Yeah, it's, it's 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 tries tries to be some sort of like shallow embedding and try to be yes. as close as possible to both of them and be really readable, which is which is really nice. And yeah, it's so. I remember that when when I was working there, there was some some features that weren't quite. Implemented yet, but it implemented a lot of things. So, what are the features that it's does Kafka Camel are able to handle nowadays, and what are the features that it's not able to handle nowadays?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, still similar to to what you have seen uh, when you were there, and uh, so we handle the, the core of uh, the Camel language, so the, the, the part corresponding to lambda calculus plus uh, types. And as uh, advanced features, we also support the module system, including the functors to have parameterized modules, and the first-class modules, that Are uh, one of the advanced features of uh, OCaml. And after, for uh, some of uh, features like uh, JDTs, on uh, uh, which uh, we, uh, you worked on uh, extensible types or polymorphic variants. We, we don't have a, a clear answer. We, we, we are still using uh, axioms in the generated code. And we also sometimes modify the original o- OCaml code to help us uh, in the translation. One of the main things that we don't handle are the side effects. So we requires the original code to be uh, fully written in a monadic style, and uh, fortunately, that's already the case for most of the code of Tezos, because uh, developers are uh, trying to follow good uh, uh, functional programming principle, and they already have all their code into a state and error monad, so it uh, helps a lot for our translation. So we'll say that uh, yeah, the main feature that we don't support are the side effects. And for the other feature, either we support it or we can use a hack by uh, adding axioms in the generated code. Like, like what?
0: what? What do you mean by these hacks?
2: So the, the main hack we use is to introduce an axiom of a cast that can take a value of any type of any type A and returns a value of any type B, and when we cannot translate the OCaml code to an equivalent code code that uh, that will type check, we introduce this cast at the relevant points. So it's uh, unsafe on the code code, but casts are uh, in some sense already proven by the OCaml type checker, and after we eliminate casts. Uh, during the proofs. Because uh, when we verify such functions with uh, the hypothesis we, we, we take as a precondition, we can uh, re verify that this cast were uh, indeed correct. And we consider that uh, when there is a cast from a uh, type A to uh, the same type A, it's uh, equal to identity. And with this property, we can uh, eliminate the cast. Uh, That appears in the proof. So it's uh, slightly uh, unsafe, but uh, we believe that it's fine because uh, Vesca's are already verified by the OCaml compiler and uh, it allows us to translate a much larger uh, kind of code without uh, asking the OCaml developers to change the way they write code.
0: Yeah, sounds reasonable because. There is the, the OCaml compiler has been used for quite a while, and if it's the the compiler there, it's considering this cast type safe, then most likely it's type safe. And since we're we're just translating the compiler code, we have this this assurance. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So you mentioned that Okay, so side effects is is the main the main hassle that it's, it's it's hard to handle. yeah, I remember we we were talking at some point to maybe we would be able to use you know like be able to translate using some monads did, did you guys have any 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 new thoughts about that on uh, translating the the side effects into into some sort of monads?
2: So that, that might be useful for us. Uh, because uh, the OCaml developers are, are using th- some assert faults in the code that uh, did a, a side effect in OCaml. For now, we translate them by hand to zero monad in our uh, fork of the TESOS code, but we have to maintain these uh, changes. So that will uh, help us to have a basic monadic... Uh, uh, basic handling of, of uh, side effects. So if we want to target some libraries of Tezos that are using side effects, uh, we need to support them. I think the main challenge is to combine the side effects with uh, all the other features, especially with uh, the module system, because then you have to declare for each function whether they can uh, make side effects or not. And uh, the same for uh, that take other function as parameter, like uh, list.fold, you, you need to have two versions whether the parameter makes size effects or not.
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
2: So, uh, but I think we, it will be useful to have a basic mechanism that works for uh, simple cases where the, uh, where the effects are localized to one file, for example, and people are not making crazy things with the uh, C-Module system, so that it uh, helps us to cover the 80% of uh, regular cases. And sometimes the effects are used in a localized way when they're in a small library or in a file implementing a specific algorithm. So it would make sense to have a partial support of uh, side effects. In, uh, in that case, it will be by translating the side effects to a monad uh, during the translation to
0: Coq. Right, that's that's really nice. I also remember that one one difficulty that we that we had during the translation was that in, in OCaml there there is a notion of of ghost types that sometimes they show up and there there are some some type variables that are there, but the programmer are not really talking about them, and then when you're actually writing them down in COC, you need those type variables, and in a sense, they had to be generated. Like in the compiler, they exist, but in the code, they don't exist. And when you're writing COC, since COC is a little more, how can I, how can I put it? I would say that that the 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 the, the, the compiler of Coq let's put it that way so like the interpreter the type system of Coq is kind of weaker than OCaml in the sense that OCaml is doing more for you under the hood is is solving more constraints let's let's put it that way and in Coq you have to write down those constraints and in, in a sense in Coq they in the code they show up as some sort of proof and you have to be more detailed on how you're writing your thing. So these ghost variables, they these ghost type variables, they show up in, in Coq, and you have to be very careful on how to handle them. Can you talk a, a little bit about, about those?
2: Yes. Yes, and uh, there are some uh, slight differences uh, between the type system of uh, OCaml and, uh, and Coq. And uh, it appears, Clearly, when we do the, the translation, and we see some terms that are uh, very normal terms and they're compiling without any problem in uh, OCaml and they are not in, a, in Coq. So when, uh, one example is for the phantom types. When there is a, a type parameter that is uh, only used to annotate uh, other types. In OCaml, it works fine. Uh, when we cannot, uh, when this uh, phantom type says uh, polymorphic, we cannot uh, find a precise instantiation of it. But in in Coq, everything has to be either polymorphically quantified or uh, instantiated. So uh, we have a special path to remove all the phantom types uh, when we do the translation to Coq. And there is also the issue of uh, uh, types sl- such as the option type of a list. When we have uh, an empty list in, uh, in Coq, we have to specify uh, the type of elements that are in this list. And uh, an empty list uh, of, uh, for a list of integers is uh, not the same as an empty list of uh, for a string. Whereas in OCaml, there is only a single uh, empty list. can be uh, converted uh, transparently from uh, an empty list of integers to an empty list of strings. And uh, if OCaml doesn't know, uh, at the point of the code, uh, which empty list it is, it doesn't matter. It just go- goes on. So uh, for uh, empty list, typically, uh, we sometimes have to add an annotation in the OCaml code to help the translation uh, to Cock.
0: Right, yeah, I remember those. There, there there, are a bunch of very useful annotations that you can put with um, at, and then we, you can specify some annotations that will only be used by the Coq of OCaml. Those are really yes. neat.
2: Yes, yeah, the OCaml syntax is a, uh, well, uh, fourth, there's uh, an annotation mechanism that we use uh, that allows to add annotation on, at any point of an OCaml program. So uh, and, and the OCaml compiler, ensure that this annotation will not be used uh, to alter the compilation. So we are sure that we do not change the semantics of the code, but we can use this annotations for uh, our needs and uh, help the translation to, to CAC.
0: Yeah, those are nice. So, what properties are you guys working on for for Tazos?
2: So, yeah, we are working on uh, several properties. The first one where the uh, serialization functions. So for all the primitive data types, in order to, to save uh, the data on a uh, disk, there are two functions defined to serialize and deserialize the, the data.
0: Sorry, we... uh, serialize and deserialize what?
2: The, all the data types
0: uh, used by Tezos. Okay, what does it mean to serialize and deserialize here? Okay.
2: So, uh, is that we have two functions, one from the data type to the binary code and uh, the other way around from the binary code to the data type. And we verify that these two functions are inverse and we uh, also explicit on uh, which website of the type they are working. Because generally, these functions are not uh, total. So uh, it also helps us to, to explicit the invariance of the various data types that are used by the uh, Tesos code. So we, we maintain the verification for uh, most of these functions as the uh, code of Tesos evolves. It's uh, generally pretty much uh, automated, uh, thanks from uh, some tactics uh, by uh, Daniel. So we have worked also on the storage system. this so, uh, uh, uses a low-level storage system that is a key value store. But on top of that, they have built many abstractions to have uh, APIs Uh, high-level APIs, that has uh, maps or sets to uh, access the the store. So, uh, we have not completed yet the verification of the system, but we have uh, specified it. And uh, that will be one of our next targets to show uh, uh, the consistency of these layers in the storage system have worked a lot on the smart contract interpreter. So in Tezos, uh, there is a small programming language that is uh, Michelson, in which uh, programmers can write smart contracts. So we, we have shown that this uh, interpreter is uh, equivalent to uh, a specification, uh, Michel Koch. That, uh, that is used by people to formally verify smart contracts. So the COG framework that people use to verify smart contracts for Tezos is uh, proven uh, equivalent to the actual uh, OCaml implementation. So can uh, provide extra safety for the smart contracts that are verified f- uh, for Tezos. And, uh, uh, it's, it's very important because uh, the TESOS cryptocurrency has a particularity that the uh, uh, code can evolve regularly from the from communities. So every three or four months, there is an update of uh, the TESOS code. And for the for Mikkelsen language, it means that uh, a few new instructions are added and some uh, may be uh, deprecated. So it's uh, important that we uh, maintain the fact that the specification that we have of Mikkelson is still up to date to see OCaml camel code. So that we can- sounds
0: That sounds like a lot of work. So yes. what sort of verification, how, how does it work to formally verify Mikkelson? Mi- Mi- um, yes.
2: yes. Uh, So if there is a smart contract written in uh, Michelson or any other language that compiles to Michelson, with uh, the MichoCock framework, we can uh, translate uh, a string of uh, this Michelson program to uh, an AST. And after, we have uh, a semantics that allows to express Uh, some uh, post-condition given some uh, precondition. And then we can verify the use properties about the entry points of the smart contract. So, uh, Mishukok is uh, made at Nomadic Labs. He's uh, one of the main uh, companies uh, working for Tezos. And uh, that was the project that boosted our uh, effort to do formal verification on uh, Tezos. And Actually, the first idea of our project was to check that uh, Micheloc uh, was compatible with uh, semantics of uh, OCaml.
0: What's that? Michel yes. You are able to specify properties of Michelson program and verify them, yes. which is which is pretty nice. What about the Michelson, Mikelson, the the framework that runs Michelson? You know, like the the interpreter and all like probably a virtual machine going on yes. there. Is there any verification do, done on those parts? Yes,
2: yes. So we are uh, working on uh, on this part. So Michelson is based on an interpreter. And there is uh, also a, a big part which is dedicated to uh, the type checking of a Michelson program leave the largest part of the implementation is uh, dedicated to type-checking, because there are a lot of uh, cases and uh, possible uh, errors that need to be uh, reported to the user. So For this part, what we verify is uh, (coughs) that the invariants and the data types are preserved while we evaluate uh, Michelson programs. we verify the backward compatibility so what when a, a new version of Tezos is uh, out the uh, uh, interpreter is backward compatible with uh, the previous one so generally most of the instruction implementation do not change but uh, there are a few uh, refactoring refactorization that we check with uh, this process and also uh, there are a few primitives uh, of Mikkelsen, that we verify like, the validity of uh, the compare function. We check that it's uh, indeed a total order on uh, all the data types. And we check that the parsing and un operations are uh, inverse. So this verification is uh, far from complete. <coughs> but we have ver- verified the this pass and unpass function on some uh, simple cases that uh, will be a target to complete. Uh...
0: Nice, that sounds like a lot of work. How many people do you do you have working on those things? So we are... How is, your, how is our formal land organized?
2: So for now, we are fully dedicated to Tezos and we are a team of uh, six people. So this is uh, me, who started the company. And uh, from that, we are uh, all working full time on, uh, on Coq, we are all uh, Coq developers. And we dedicate, I think, 20% of our time on maintaining the proofs on the, <coughs> on the translation and the translation to from OCaml to Coq. To follow the evolution of the thesis code. And the rest of the time is uh, dedicated to writing uh, new proofs on the code. Yeah, we work by, yeah, we, we work by a project that have a duration of uh, two months. And uh, at the end of the two months, we make a report to the thesis foundation uh, to show them uh, what we have done. And uh, if they tell us uh, if they uh, they are okay with uh, our work and uh, and, uh, what subject, they would like to continue.
0: So if I understand correctly, so Tezos is a cryptocurrency that is very interested. Well, to put it in another way, it's a cryptocurrency that has smart contracts and they're very interested in using formal verification to make sure that they're... Framework and the things that they work with is is done properly and everything is correct, and they hire other smaller companies to help them to formally verify those things. And one of the companies is is Nomadic Labs, and now you guys with Formal Formaland, and that that's that's really nice. That's pretty cool. It's it's nice to see these ideas of of type theory of the things that we've only seen in the academia so far to be taken to the industry. So I, I personally find that very exciting. Yes. But yeah,
2: so I, f- yeah, I think that Tezos is a cryptocurrency that is the most focused on formal verification. Tezos is a cryptocurrency that is the most focused on formal verification. And uh, it's advocated by many blockchains like Ethereum uh, or Cardano, et cetera. But to, to me, the only one that are taking this work seriously, uh, as of today, is, uh, is Tezos. And they yeah, have a yeah. project, both for verifying the smart contracts themselves and the implementation of the code. And they invest in various domains and various proof techniques. So I think that uh, one of the difference between uh, Tezos and uh, other cryptocurrencies.
0: Yeah, that's 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 cool. That's pretty cool. But the approach that you use to formally verify those ideas in the blockchain or smart contracts, it's not it's not necessarily only for that, right? Because we have we have cockle, cockle camel, and you can you can use that to formally verify many many other things if you want, right? Uh,
2: yes, yes. So uh, I think the idea of writing ourselves to high-level languages is useful because we can start from a code that that is similar to what we can write in Coq, Uh, But the proofs and the specifications are simpler to express. So uh, our techniques uh, should uh, be able to work on uh, any other project that is uh, written in, uh, in the OCaml language. But uh, also other languages, so, uh, like in uh, Haskell, they have a translator, hs to that is uh, translating uh, Haskell code uh, to similar-looking Coq uh, code. So it's, uh, this tool is very similar to what we have for, uh, for Coq, for uh, the translation from OCaml to Coq. And for uh, uh, popular languages like uh, Rust, uh, uh, it may be possible to do a similar translation. So there is a prole- project Electrolyse for a translation of uh, Rust to, uh, to Lean. That was done. Oh, cool.
0: I didn't know that one.
2: Yes. So it was on a subset of Rust, but uh, <coughs> I think it might uh, be useful to cover interesting uh, programs. Uh, There's some project to to work on the verification on on Go. And uh, very popular language is uh, JavaScript. I think it should be possible also to verify some JavaScript code, especially when it's uh, written in uh, TypeScript.
0: Because uh, then we have uh, all the type information. So they they translate TypeScript to what?
2: So so for now, uh, no one is uh, doing that but I think that the techniques we are using to translate OCaml code to, to Coq should be able to work also for other languages, including uh, TypeScript.
0: Huh, I would, it's, it's not clear to me, you know, like, because there is a lot of typing information that should be missed, kind of missing in a language mm. like TypeScript, right? Mm. I'm not sure how, how, how strongly typed TypeScript is, I would expect not not as much as OCaml or Haskell, right?
2: Yes. Yes, yeah, so in TypeScript, there are various compilation options to uh, uh, make the typing uh, more or less strict. So I think it depends on the policy of the developing team of a project written in TypeScript. But uh, to me, If uh, a team is dedicated and wants to have good type safety, it's possible to write TypeScript code that is almost uh, 100% type-safe. And uh, an advantage of uh, TypeScript compared to languages like uh, Haskell and uh, OCaml, I think, is that uh, the the, the type features are uh, less advanced so it means uh, more simplicity for us to do the translation to, to So especially some features like uh, jdts that are hard for us with uh, ocaml of uh, module system uh, they don't have that in typescript so that would uh, simplify uh, our life so they are, they have also some things that are uh, more complex and they have some uh, special way to handle, for example, the, uh, the, the zoom types by uh, using uh, encodings with uh, field names in uh, instructors. But uh, generally, uh, I think the approach of TypeScript is to use, uh, to be able to type check some uh, common programming patterns. And if we can uh, capture FSM programming patterns in our translation to Coq, I think we can cover uh, an interesting part of the language.
0: So, Danielle, you, you've been really quiet. Do you want to talk a little bit of the work you've been doing there? Uh,
1: okay. Uh, I've been working uh, almost one year on formalology now. I started in December of the last year. Uh, at the beginning was uh, really difficult. I, you know, C can be very uh, complex at start, uh, but it's pretty fun to to have the opportunity to work with such uh, a strong language with s- so amazing features, and being able to. Programming and reason reasoning about what you're programming, it's really fun because you can check things that you not would be able to check on another language. You have to take for granted or do some tests. Uh, also, there was uh, some work on automation, as Glenn said, in the beginning. It's uh, really fun to work. I think it's really fun to work on automation because you can solve a class of problems uh, in some clever way and it really helps us uh, getting productive with the
0: the proofs, writing proofs. So what kind of automation have you done?
1: uh, On the data encoding, uh, we we need to verify that the encodings are valid. As Clem said, that the encoding and decoding functions are inverse, and the beginning of almost all proofs uh, are about applying uh, a set of axioms. The dot encoding library is axiomatized. and so the beginning of almost all proofs of encoding are uh, pre-mechanical, and the end of the proof. It changes, varies from from encoding to encoding, and the encoding library is uh, a set of combinators, and some of these combinators receive uh, uh, functions from the user, and the properties of these functions varies, but the combinators are always the same. So we did a, an automation to solve the mechanical part and left the, the proof engineer to finish the proof. So you just fired the, the automation tactic and it solves all the that encoding-related uh, part and left you f- with the, the end of the proof, which is almost always is simple at the end. Uh, it really helps us to, to, since there are a lot of encoding lemmas that we need to prove, having this automation makes us work much faster on the That is, uh, we are also using Cockhammer, it's a library uh... And it can solve some simple goals, so we achieve a level of automation on some uh, encoding lemmas that we fire the dot encoding uh, automation and then fire the Cockhammer automation in sequence, and it's done for uh, some of the lemmas.
0: Nice, nice. Yes,
1: it's pretty cool to to see it working. Uh, also, there is uh, another home for more, more home for automation on the storage, as Graham said. We the specification starts pretty big, and we automate the generation of the specification, and we also put. Uh, hints for the, in the specification. So we can apply, it's uh, dilemmas that are about the qualities so we can automatically rewrite uh, some stuff without needing to know uh, what exactly XM we are applying. On the data encoding, we use the same uh, technique uh, when we finish a dot encoding lemma, we place a hinge for each. So if this uh, encoding is usage in another encoding, because they can be nested, uh, as the data types are nested, the, the encoding follow the same uh, rule. And so when one encoding is nested, and there is a hinge for each, the data encoder automation will also uh, finish the, that case. So these are some techniques that we're using and it's pretty good to see working because you don't need to think too much what you need to apply it. You can think in a more uh, high level uh, uh, abstraction.
0: And yeah, that's it. Nice. Nice. That's that's pretty cool. So you, you you said that you didn't have much background using using automated uh, interactive theorem provers before. You didn't have much knowledge of Coq. How was it what what's your background and how was it for you to to get in contact with it? Do you think it's hard? Do you think it's it's easy? What makes it exciting for you?
1: Uh my background before working with Coq, I worked uh before with embedded systems, mostly Linux embedded. Uh, And after that, I worked with web development. And at some point I started to uh, gathering interest in in, in programming languages and type theory and programming design. And I started researching on it and I was looking more on Haskell and at some point i came across the the job uh position and i submit from glam but at uh, that point i did have experience with cock, and the beginning was really uh tough because uh when you're learning something new every little detail is something new to you it's uh, a little overwhelming because um, you need know, to think uh, about a lot of stuff and that it's when, you are, when you're programming on language like uh, Okama or Haskell or C-Sharp that I had experienced before, uh, the type system is, in case of C-Sharp, the type system is so simple because your types is just something static. They will not compute. And to make this click that now types have expressions and expressions compute and something may not working because there is uh expression area type that is not fully reduced. It takes uh some time to to understand and to get comfortable with this. I think this was the most uh Difficult parts to have this click that oh now types are as much as complex as the programs.
0: So it is. It's that that's the power of dependent types. Like types and programs, they they kind of become the same thing in a way. They're not, but they are. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> okay. So well, thanks for joining us, Pierre. Um. How do, you, how do you say your surname is Pierre Vial? Pierre Vial, yes. Well, Pierre I guess. Vial. <laughs> <laughs> Very different from uh, English. Okay, yeah. Th- thanks for joining us. Welcome. So, um, do you want to tell us a little bit of the work you've been doing in Formaland?
3: I was the last to arrive at uh, Formanland at the beginning of uh, October. Well, on- onboarding was uh, tough uh, as well, so I helped, uh, I helped um, uh, verify uh, some um, high-level uh, files in the Tezos protocol. Um, so it was uh, the first time I, I, d- I did a uh, 500-line uh, uh, proof to verify uh, to verify uh, one of the of the functions. And, um, well, uh, mostly doing uh, formal proof, trying to understand uh, how to, to uh, work with a big project because uh, before in academia, I was never uh, confronted with such, such a big thing. <laughs> and uh, actually, I had only uh, a small glimpse at uh, all the functionalities uh, of Cock because I mostly used uh, the the low level ones. So, but uh, now I have to to deal with the the whole ecosystem.
0: I'm curious now. What kind of thing got you by surprise that Cock can do that you didn't know while doing your your PhD? I think.
3: Um, well, uh, my PhD was not about Coq, but uh, my last postdoc, uh, I, I developed a, a plugin for Coq in my last pl- postdoc, and um, I was mostly using um, um, new uh, new tools, tools which were uh, being developed. So. Um, Basically, I was uh, v- uh, writing uh, proof terms uh, in Coq. That is a very low level, and uh, I didn't have uh, that much uh, automation uh, uh, at hand. Actually, my, my work was to to develop uh, automation uh, automation uh, tools for Coq, uh, and I never um, uh, used uh, used uh, uh, the ones which were already existing, and. Um, also, um, the proofs I, w- I was writing uh, were not uh, so big, and I had not to. I was not in a in a really big uh, project, uh, which was uh, really well structured, and um, I had to deal uh, with the the wall, uh, the wall, uh, um, all the. the the possibilities uh, of uh, organization, uh, organizing a project that uh, provides COC, which was not really necessary before. So it, it's probably it's probably something which is really common for for a software engineer. But uh, as a researcher,
0: I'd not met that uh, before. The way you talk about developing plugins and all of that, and, and dealing with lower level terms, it seems to me that you didn't have much. That much contact with Eltax, for example, and, and tactics and, and those sort of things.
3: Oh uh, yes, I had uh, I had uh, some contact with uh, uh, uh which is uh, well, um, which was really a, a mess uh, for when I was uh, doing research. Uh, but now uh, we we are doing um, um, uh, more. Um, more day-to-day tactics. Uh, well, the problem uh, with Eltak uh, is uh, is it's very, very unpredictable, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know. I'm still I'm still uh, learning a lot about the Tezos project and uh, the Formalon project as well. But uh, in the long term, I would like to to see in uh, what kind of um, of uh, uh, Alternate uh, uh, automation uh, plugin we could uh, use to to uh, to handle more slouf- smoothly the, the
0: mundane parts of the proofs. Mm-hmm. Right, nice. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So, Guillem, I have a question for you. What are other projects do you think that this approach for you know translating OCaml codebase and doing the proofs there? What what other kind of projects do you think would be Suitable and reasonable to work with for for you guys for land for example.
2: Yes, I think that a, a big target of smart contract languages. So either smart contract languages for Tezos or for other platforms you can translate to to Coq, because there is quite a lot of demand to formally verify smart contracts as a very regularly some uh, security attack with uh, millions of uh, dollars worth of value that are uh, stolen. And, uh, usually, smart contracts are relatively small programs with a few hundred lines, so it uh, makes it approachable to completely formally verify them. But from that, there are a the few other cryptocurrencies on uh, which we can uh, apply similar techniques. I would say that there are one 10 uh, main cryptocurrencies uh, implementations uh, why
0: well, know. Generally, they were uh, Are there other cryptocurrencies that are written in no Do you know? Uh,
2: so there's uh, Mina. that is a uh, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency uh, uh, using a, a, a proof zero knowledge uh, technique. It's a relatively new cryptocurrency. And there is... Uh, the interpreter for smart contracts of Zilliqa. Uh, Zilliqa? Zilliqa. And uh, apart from that, the main languages are uh, Go and Rust. For example, uh, the main implementation of Ethereum is in Go. And uh, Solana or Polkadot they are in uh, Rust. And there is also Haskell that is used by Cardano. And uh, apart from other cryptocurrencies, uh, we can target also uh, more mainstream programs. So I think uh, companies that would uh, have an interest uh, to using our services uh, would be big companies uh, handling a lot of accounts to verify some critical piece of uh, their infrastructure. So I think that a company like uh, Twitter or Airbnb they have a, a lot of uh, accounts. And, and I, uh, I believe that... Uh, Formal verification uh, could be applied to a few other components uh, to make sure that there are uh, no bugs, and also that the code is uh, well uh, maintained. Because uh, When we formally verify some code, we also uh, verify that the quality of the code is, uh, is there. For example, in the translation f- from uh, uh, program to Coq, enforce certain uh, properties like uh, the absence of uh, side effects, of uh, implicit side effects. And uh, once we have a a clear specification and a clear proof, means that there are no bugs, but also that the the code is uh, well written and completely uh, understood. And I think that uh, can be valuable for uh, many companies. It gives uh, accountability.
0: Well, so if you're a company and you, you work with OCaml, make sure to, to reach out to Guillaume because I'm pretty yes. sure that he can always come up with something that can prove and, and can provide value for, for, for a company and make sure that things are, are correct by construction. Right? Yes. Is there anything anything else you guys would like to bring up?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm checking my notes. Yeah, I think we covered, uh, covered everything. Yeah, one, one of the challenges of uh, what we are doing is the size of the, proof of the code written by the Tether developers. And it's about 10,000 lines added each month. So, the last if we- Wow, had that's last. a lot of code, yeah. Yes. So, for the last month, it was 10,000 new lines and 5,000 lines removed. So, for that reason, uh, we cannot uh, verify everything. We have to skip some uh, complex properties. And uh, yeah, it takes time also to, to maintain the, the code when the code changes. So there are uh, a lot of challenges uh, as a, for software engineering and uh, to, to be able to maintain all the proofs. But we, we try to find our ways every time uh, a new code change is introduced in a in the Tezos code, every time a new feature of OCaml is used, so that we can find a way to to
0: verify things. Is there an example of while you were trying to do a proof of correctness, you found a bug and you reported to Tezos and they had to fix it, something along those lines?
2: So, yeah, there have been a few examples, few small examples. we have found a, an issue, for example, on uh, serialization function, and it was uh, reported and fixed at, on the master branch. So it was still a development code. It didn't uh, have an impact on the production code, but uh, we were able to, to, to see it uh,
0: quickly. Nice, you could, you could catch it early enough so that it didn't actually catch the public. Yes. That's good. Yes,
2: and uh, in general, uh, we found very, very few bugs, and I think the, the code of Jesus is a uh, well written in a purely uh, functional way. We a lot of uh, abstractions that are isolating the modules so that are correctly uh, used and a lot of tests. So generally- uh... I
0: have a feeling that just by using a strongly typed language, yes. especially a functional one, already gives you a lot of power to you know make things right by construction so yes. having this extra layer of using a proof assistant is just to get things Perfect. Let's put it that way. So nice. instead of 99% perfect, it's like a hundred percent perfect now. Nice.
3: Yeah. I would say it's it's harder since um, functional programming uh, enables uh, really nice uh, programs, um, the error will be very hard to, they will be uh, uh, rarer, but there will be also uh, more, um, less easily catched by uh, the human eye. So yeah. Yeah, that's why you still need Coq uh, after, after that.
2: Yes, and uh, Coq uh, allows to see some uh, subtle bugs that are hard to reproduce, for example, on the, the integer overflows. When there is a possible overflow, uh, we quickly see that in the proof because we, we get stuck. And uh, it's hard to, to reproduce and to have some uh, larger uh, integer size uh, sometimes So uh, even if these bugs are uh, hard to get in practice, they may happen at a certain point and uh, they could open some uh, attack doors with uh, with the proofs. We can uh, see them uh, every time. Yeah,
0: I remember one time that I was working to formalize some floating point unit of a CPU and I found this very, very, very corner case. You know, like it was it was a very small number that would happen in a billionth of a of 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 a possibility, right? And I I was very confused how things should work there, but apparently it was uh, the corner case of the corner case in the IEEE specification and <laughs> and it just gave me so much headache. But I totally, I totally agree with you. Sometimes, you know, like there are these very tiny, small corner cases that just by testing, it's very unlikely that you'll hit that that little corner, right? So, if a person, if a hacker, for example, really knows and really understands the specification, really knows the corner cases of what's happening there, they can, they can find their way and try to find those things, right? But when you're doing the proof, you will have to to, to reason about that. There is no way around. You have to reason about that and, and make sure that you got it right in the code. So that's that's really nice. That's beautiful. Was there any, any other bugs that you could catch something along those lines or what were the difficulties doing those translations and proofs?
2: I think that the uh, main bugs we we had we also found a, a bug in a code that was actually a dead code. Did they delete
0: that that code in the end? <laughs> yeah, I think so, yes. Nice, nice. Okay, yeah. Make things cleaner as well. That's also good.
2: And, uh, yeah, on the, what we do helps maintaining the MissionCock framework to verify smart contracts, and they take in- inputs from uh, what we are doing. And uh, on some uh, rarely used instructions, it helps to, to maintain the, the equivalence between uh, Specification of Michelson on the actual implementation. And uh, now, what we are targeting are uh, high level proofs on uh, so verification of absence of internal errors and the backward compatibility so that we, we can catch uh, global properties that are uh, simpler to specify but uh, cover uh, a large part of the code. So that's our main uh, approach now to
0: try to find bugs. Is Formula and hiring? Are you looking for more proof proof people? Yes. So
2: no, we're mostly looking for customers, and uh, I think our team is uh, complete for this. Uh, I main guess it is to find new projects to work on. Right.
0: Right. You already have enough people for now. Yes. That's good. All right. Well. Thank you so much, Guillaume. Thanks, Dan- Daniel. Danielle. Thanks, Pierre, for joining us. It was it was very nice to have this conversation. I hope to see you guys again in the near future. Nice. So good luck continuing to translate the, the Tezos code base and to prove things over there. Make sure that they're not gonna have what 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 was the name of that big hack that they have on, on Ethereum that that one time that was lost a lot of cryptocurrency there. There was a bug in Ethereum that, that caused the, 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 the fork to happen for Ethereum Classic. And I forgot that there is a name for that it's, bug. It's, it's, and it was just- DAO? Yeah, the DAO attack, DAO attack, something like, like that, right? Make sure that it's not gonna happen with Tazo's, please. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Well,
2: yeah, thanks for uh, the invitation. It was a pleasure to talk to you and uh, answering uh, all the questions. I think it's uh, always good for us to be able to present our work and uh, have an interesting discussion. So
0: uh, thanks for the podcast. Awesome, yeah, thanks so much for coming. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. If you found that this company is interesting, make sure to check their website, formal.land. Yeah, that's a very easy website, it's formal.land. You can reach out and talk to Guilherme directly over there. If you like this episode and you have any questions, feel free to send them in our website. Type referral.com. you'll see the comment section there, right under the episode. And don't forget to give us your support at Ko-fi. You'll find all the links necessary in the web page there. We also have a Twitter at TT for All. Don't forget to follow us there. Honestly, I don't really post much there, but I always post when there is a new episode. Then you can know when there is a new episode if you follow our Twitter. We also have an email. If you think that posting on the website is a little too much for you, you can always send us an email type tier for all at gmail.com i know that i suck that i don't have an actual email i am using gmail but it was it's just a big hassle to it's weird i don't know how to do website stuff anyways i'll try i'll try to fix it i promise but well that's it that's it i hope you guys enjoyed this show and i'll see you guys next time